0: Well, we greet you and welcome you as well. In the name of Jesus, it's good to be home again. We spent the day in Indiana, a good part of that. We were blessed to be out there. Turn with me, if you would, to John 1. We're going to read some verses, and I'm going to start on about the 43rd verse. There's just a little phrase here I'm going to pick out of this um, account here as Jesus is calling his disciples unto himself, and they're turning and following him. Just a little phrase I want to pick out and and apply it to some other things as well. John one forty three. the day following, Jesus would go forth unto Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, saith unto him, we have found him, of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did right, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto them, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, What knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. And he saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So the phrase that we want is just this little question in the 46th verse that Nathanael asked. He says, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so what we hope to do this evening is, is speak just a little bit about Nazareth and speak about the potential that is in mankind. You know, John didn't. Mentioned this word in the same context that I'm going to, but he used the word alone quite a bit there in the opening. Of course, his 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 thrust this evening was scripture alone and the authority of scripture, and we appreciated that. But what if a change in a person was reliant on my prayers alone? Now, we don't know exactly how God works, and we don't know that that's really could be a true statement, but the fervency that I would pray if I had the opportunity, can you imagine how that would go if I thought or was revealed to me that the change or healing maybe or redemption of an individual was reliant on my prayers alone? We're going to talk a little bit later about a Syrophoenician woman, and that's kind of where she was at. Her daughter was vexed with the devil, the Bible says. I also thought about men just feeling alone. There's lots of things the world will push in to try to take the place of Scripture, to try to take the place of truth. There's feel-good situations. There's cures of all kinds that will be presented unto us and to those around us. But it's to keep men from feeling alone. We're going to talk about that just a little bit more. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Hopefully this question and these statements will make a little more sense here in a couple of minutes. But what I want to do this evening is just remind us and encourage us that there is potential for good in all every, everything and all people, with the touch of God's hand, and we believe that. We that's not a new statement. That's not something that we don't agree with. But the other morning, as as we were closing up the the men's meeting, I think it was uh, Doug Koble had a prayer there and and just mentioned just probably from the top of his head just some some health situations, some, some challenges that are, that are right here amongst us. And, and I don't know that he took a lot of time to prepare that and think about that, but it's very real. There are challenges just right here amongst us. There's, there's empty seats here where I can tell you people, and you know who they are, who are not here this evening because they're in beds of pain and affliction or waiting on a surgery or unsure about the future. And it's not just the front of the church either. It's, it's every generation in some way. Can any good thing come out of that? See the potential for good with a touch of God's hand. Let's sing hymn number 509. 509. I guess I was drawn here to kind of this thought of the second verse Maybe I'll read this whole hymn through. It's, it's another old favorite. Um, we're very familiar with it. But the woes of life or taking me is, is, is what kind of drew me to this hymn. And that's kind of what we want to focus on tonight. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. When the woes of life or take me, hopes deceive and fears annoy Never shall the cross forsake me. Lo, it glows with peace and joy. I think that we read that and it says, never shall the cross forsake me. And we know that we're really not talking about a piece of wood. We're talking about the man on the cross who has risen again. When the sun of bliss is beaming light and love upon my way, from the cross the radiance streaming adds more luster to the day. Bane and blessing, pain and pleasure... By the cross are sanctified, peace is there that knows no measure, joys that through all time abide. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering o'er the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. So can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth, of course, is just a city. It was Jesus' hometown where he grew up. We know that he was born in Bethlehem and then moved with his family to this city of Nazareth, that he might be called a Nazarene. I want to just make a little distinction here. We read about a group of men in the Old Testament called Nazarites. And that's a little bit different. Samson was a Nazarite. He was raised without um, cutting his hair and, and, and drinking alcohol or even touching the grapes. There's some scripture in the Old Bible that talks about the qualifications to be a Nazarite. And that was a bit of a a sect, you might say, or a bit of a a subset of the Jewish culture. But this is just Nazarene. It's just referring to his hometown. It's like saying, I'm from New Carlisle or Tip City or wherever you're from. And so that's what we're talking about. Jesus the Nazarene, not the Nazarite, but the Nazarene. He was from this little town of Nazareth. Just a, a simple beginning, just an humble place. Historians have found they that there might have been a Roman army station in Nazareth. And so maybe that's what Nathaniel was referring to here in that Nazareth had, had maybe sold out to Rome at the time. And so the authorities and the, the oppressors, if you will, of the people at that time were maybe stationed in Nazareth. And so it's kind of like us saying, "Can there can there be anything sensible come out of Washington, D.C.? Maybe that was the statement that Nathanael was making here, but I like the the response there that Philip says. He says, "Just come and see, just check it out. Come see him with me." Matthew twenty three, excuse me, Matthew two, in the twenty third verse. Maybe I'll just read that really quickly. It says it's spoken of of the prophets, and that he would be called a Nazarene. Matthew two twenty three says, "And he came and dwelt." In a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. There's actually no exact prophecy in the Old Testament saying that he would be a Nazarene. So that's a little bit of a questionable, um, not sure what, what, what Matthew was referring to there when he wrote that, that it was spoken of of the prophets. There's no direct proof of that. But isn't it interesting, and you've heard this train of thought before, but isn't it interesting how Jesus came on the scene in such an humble, lowly manner? He was very relatable, I think, with people. He wasn't born in an ivory palace in Rome or even in Jerusalem. He was just born in the most simplest of manners, maybe not even human um, or, or optimum for human, being born in a manger, laid in a manger, And so this Jesus, I think that's why Nathaniel says come and see. I don't think he'll knock you over with status or physical prowess. But there's a depth there that we'll learn and we'll find if we'll come and see. And that's the invitation. And so his approach is more one of availability for seekers. And I'm calling us this evening to be that conduit, that prayer warrior that is concerned with the the challenges of everyday life that our brothers and sisters are going through. Maybe they're even concerned with more than that. There's concern even greater than the health issues of those who are beginning to walk away. can there be anything good come out of that? Come and see. So my invitation this evening, I'm going to read off some some places here, and then I'm going to go back and explain them for those of you that don't understand them. But if you're weary of Madison Avenue, if you're weary of Wall Street or Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles, Hollywood... If you're wearied of the Capitol building over in Washington, D.C., or Harvard, come and see. Can there be any good? Come out. Madison Avenue, that's, that's the, the, the hypothetical source of advertising. And, and that, that part of human nature that always wants more. And is consumerism, consumer-driven. The same with Rodeo Drive. That's that's where the stars are in Hollywood. Are you sick of Madison Avenue telling you you always need something else? Are you tired of Rodeo Drive? That's, I think, probably, I'm not sure, but I think that's maybe where they, they, they put their hand in the wet concrete. The Hollywood Walk of Fame is right in that area. Is that your goal? I doubt if it is. But those places have an effect on us as Americans. How about Harvard? I just threw that in there. Harvard's been getting a bad name here recently in the news, but I just think of it as the epitome of learning. Is that your ultimate? Learning. Earthly knowledge. A status symbol to hang on your wall, maybe. Is that where you're going. How about the Capitol building? That's where Congress is. It's the seat of the government. And I know there's a couple of different, there's three branches, and they all counteract each other, and it's a good system. We appreciate it. But if you think that that's where your salvation in any way is going to come from, you're mistaken. Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? come and see, come with me and just see the way this Jesus interacted with the people that we have record of in the gospels here. We're going to turn to several of them, but first I want to talk about how can we see the potential, the good? How can we see that? You know, I'm like you, I get down on my knees at night and, and I, I think of, people that I should pray for in and situations and and I, and I realize sometimes later that I've gone a week and I forgot all about that thing that I was said I would pray for. Maybe you're more scheduled and regimented than I am and you write it down and remember and bless you if you do that. Or maybe I should do that. And I don't want to put some sort of pressure on us that, that if we don't pray for something it only will, automatically won't happen. God is in control of that. But I just want to ask us, have we given up in any way on any situation or on any person? Does anyone seem too far away that there could be any good come back out? We're going to look at some pretty ugly folks in the New Testament that Jesus touched and there was much good that came out of them. So how can we see that potential in people, in situations? Well, first of all, I would say we're going to have to approach it with an air of humility. Probably the most important attribute for a child of God is humility. Not thinking that I have answers or that any of those places, Madison Avenue, Wall Street, the Capitol building, not thinking that any of those places are going to solve my problems or answer my question, but just this humble carpenter from 2,000 years ago that walked the little streets of Nazareth. And we know that, but humility. Where would I be without him? And not just his life that we read about and his death and resurrection, but his personage of the spirit that is within me, that is guiding me, and his word that's been left with us that we heard about in the opening where would I be without that? Can I see myself without a savior? And it doesn't take long to develop a great deal of humility to see where I would be if myself made all the decisions. I thought about having patience. And I want to see the potential in people and situations. I'm going to have to have patience God doesn't promise to answer all our prayers right away. As a matter of fact, we may not even see the fruition of our prayers in this life. But we are still called to pray and still called to care and still called to associate with those things. Patience. We already mentioned prayer several times. We don't know the way. We don't know what would be best. Is it, is it best if I come alongside someone that's struggling and, 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 and lift them up or, or maybe just give them space or, or speak a harsh word or a kind word? We, we don't know the way. But I believe through prayer, He can work through our simplicity and we can see the good in situations I thought about caring, just an attitude of caring. How can we begin to see the potential in people? The Bible says that one soul is really worth the whole world. I forget that a lot. And I would even many times place my sleep ahead of prayer for one soul. I thought about a group effort. You know, we're blessed here with with, with full benches many times on Sunday morning. And those that we care, those that we could call at a moment's notice, and they would come in and want to help and want to care for us. Um, there's been situations where, where brothers and sisters have gotten involved with someone or some situation, and the word has gone out and said we could use funds, we could use prayer, we could use material things, whatever it is. And this group just piles in and and loves together through that person. Don't take that for granted. You're not alone in these carings, in these situations. There's a group here, and we're called the church to care for one another. And then I'd like to finally, if we're going to see the good, to see the potential, encourage us to widen our scope. Is anything too far outside of his influence, that he doesn't care, that he can't touch? We say no. And that's right, we know that. But living that out is what my encouragement is for this evening. Does Jesus care? Oh yes, he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know he cares for me, the songwriter says. So can any good thing come out of sickness? Can any good thing come out of a brother or sister that's, that's maybe at home, maybe, maybe even listening to this right now? And bless you if that's you, under the sound of my voice, both in person and, and over the phone line. Can any good thing come out of that? (coughs) Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Can any good thing come out of sickness or the effects of aging that we all experience at some level? Can any good thing come out of that? Can any good thing come out of an untimely death or a disappointment in a child? Can there be any good thing come out of that? Is it all just wasted in God's economy? Can there be any good thing about a son or a daughter or a friend or a nephew that seems to be slipping away? Can there be any good thing come out of that? Can God redeem that? He can. Can there be any good thing come out of a selfish neighbor or co-worker or customer that just seems like everything you try to do to extend love to them, it just seems like it comes back in your face and you just get exasperated sometimes and you think, I will never please this person. And usually I find that I've made some mistakes along the way too and they've lost trust in me, but can there be any good thing come out of that? Oh yes, he cares. He cares. Can there be any good thing out of having to wait on an answer? You know, a silent heaven is hard to endure with a hurting heart. And I've not experienced this nearly to the extent of many of you, and bless you if you're in that situation. But how long can my prayers endure? That's my encouragement. Can there be any good thing come out of that? There can. And he can make it happen. So the key to something good is allowing him to work in it. Not only work in the situation as I would pray for that situation to change or or be converted, to be healed, or or whatever that is, that relationship to be reestablished. but maybe there's change in myself that needs to happen as well and growing that I can do in this. That might be the something good. It just might be. And so allowing him to work and having the faith that he will. I want to turn with me. I want you to turn with me if you would. We're going to go to Matthew 8. And we're going to look at Originally, I had 10 people and I sort of eliminated a few of them because we're not going to have time. I'm just going to mention them, but I'm going to mention talk, to several, talk about several of them. I don't think it does disservice to the word to say that these were ugly people. These were ugly situations that Jesus came in personally and dealt with. Can there any good thing... I'm in Romans 8. I'm going to read 5 through 13 and ask you, could there be any good thing come out of a Roman soldier? You talk about a person who was probably just behind the Jews in the bane of the early church. It was the Roman soldiers. They were the occupiers. They were the ones who were, who were, who were living in that land and putting the thumb down on the new church and on the disciples here they were in control. We, we don't appreciate or relate very well to this thing of occupation. And I even thought about that. I was like, well, what country could I describe that would come in and oppress us and, and make us do what they wanted? We, we can't even, I can't even explain that to you because I don't understand it. We are the powerful nation here. And so it's hard for us to relate to those common people living in Israel at this time, that were under the oppression of the Roman soldiers and what what those men must have meant to them. This man, this centurion, the leader of of a hundred, he represented the most powerful force on earth at that time. He represented a a man, I don't know, we don't know much about this man, but I'm guessing you don't rise to authority in the Roman army without a pretty thick, crusty shell. These were hard men. I have no doubt that this was a hard man. And when he would go into battle, you know, you don't want to go into battle with someone that has fear. If we're going to go into battle, you and I together, I don't want you to have fear and I turn around and you're gone because I'm relying on you. These men were twisted maybe in their mind. They were convinced. They were the authority of the time. But this one had another side. Matthew 8, verses 5-13. through 13. And when Jesus was entering into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion. That's the leader of a hundred in the Roman army beseeching him, saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. I'm sure that got the attention of the disciples that were walking with him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and saith unto him that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith, no, not in Israel. Well, that got their attention. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of the heaven, but the children of the kingdom should be cast out into outer darkness. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done to thee. And his servant was healed that self same hour. A hard battle trained man with a tough exterior. I can, I can just see muscles coming out from underneath his his armor there and I can see a weather-beaten face and I can see a man that could shoot a bow and arrow or command and and strategy for battle that had been trained in the art of killing, if you will. But I see a man that might have even had a slave at home. We don't know what that servant might have been. Might have been from some past military conquest that he had brought this young, maybe not even young. I don't even know what what age this this servant was. And it says that he was he was uh, he, he he said to my servant, "Do this," and he doeth it. So the servant maybe was was obedient and was was good to his master, and he doesn't fear to him escaping. And he lay in bed sick of the palsy. Now most. Translations just would say that palsy was some sort of paralysis. And so he laid in bed. There was another time, you remember how they, they, they took the roof off and they lowered a man down on his bed. I think that was the same sickness there. And so in Bible times, they, they would just label something. They didn't know what everything was. Their, their medicine obviously was not as advanced as ours is. They didn't have the diagnostic potentials that we have. And so they labored at palsy. He's, he's paralyzed. Maybe it was some fever that had gotten into him. There's, there's different situations that could happen. Doesn't really matter. But the man was not getting better. And this hard leader of men was at his end. And he comes to Jesus and says, Would you just speak a word? and heal my servant because he's laying at home paralyzed. A pretty ugly man. A pretty ugly... I, I just labeled this Roman soldier the hardened. I just see a man that was just about as tough as you can get. If you want to think of a Navy SEAL maybe in today's vernacular or, or, or one that's just battle-hardened. But he had a soft side there. And he knew that Jesus could heal this man. And he knew that he didn't even have to be there. Isn't that interesting? I don't know when the tearing off of the roof, if that centurion had witnessed that, if that had already happened or maybe it happened later, doesn't really matter. I don't know if this centurion even knew that Jesus wasn't come for the Gentiles because he took a risk. There's the discussion of being under authority. And 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 that, I think, is what Jesus is recognizing there in the man, that, that this man understands that, that this power is not just in Jesus alone. This is power that is supported and given to Jesus by the very presence of God in him. And so Jesus commends that. He commended his faith, and, and he said, I haven't found so great a faith in Israel. This hardened, rough, battle-scarred man had a faith that was commended above Israel. Do you ever feel like you're praying through a shell in someone that It just seems like there's there's no softening. And you you hate to pray for something negative to happen to someone, but yet you know that if they continue on the road that they are, there's just nothing that can soften this tough exterior. Jesus can work with that. I don't know that whacking them with a stick is going to make a difference. I don't know that anything that we do will make a difference. But He's asking us Can there be any good thing come out of that tough exterior? That Roman soldier, that hardened heart? Come and see. Come and see. The next one we want to look at is the Syrophoenician woman. Turn with me to Matthew 15. We're going to read a few verses about this this woman here. I, I think you'll notice that as we're, we're reading through these things, we are not talking about the, the heights of society in any ways. We are not talking about the people who could have paid Jesus to help them. Maybe there were some of those there, or, and maybe there, you know, we, we read about others being healed, and we don't know what all that entailed, and, and, but we read about the extreme. Maybe that's all that was recorded, I don't know. But I want to read about this Syrophoenician woman. And what's amazing about this woman, and the lesson we're going to get from this woman, is that don't give up. She was rejected. She was rejected by Jesus. Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, over on the coast there. And this was a Canaanite area. And these were people, again, Jesus, I think Matthew mentions this because he's saying he's out, of his, he's out of his comfort zone again. We followed him over there, but but I don't know why. It's kind of like the Samaritan. We're going to talk about her. But it's kind of like I, I'm not sure what we're looking for in Tyre and Sidon, but we followed him over there. And behold, a woman of Canaan, a Canaanite, a a, 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 a polygod worshiper probably, came out of the same coast, I'm in verse 22, and cried unto him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And he answered not a word, silence. And his disciples came and besought him saying, Send her away, she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dog eat, dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, She had never mentioned her daughter that we have record of with Matthew's telling. O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Can there be any good come out of a woman from a idol-worshiping tribe? Can there be any good? Can there be any good come out of her obstinance? She didn't take no for an answer. She besought him. And the first he's met with silence. He answered her not a word, it says in the 23rd Verse. I'm sorry, it does mention there that, that my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, so they, they didn't know what the problem was. I'm sorry, I misspoke on that. And his disciples came and... So if the first response that Jesus gave was silence. The second one is in verse 24, and he says, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't know if he said that to the disciples, or she heard it, or what... But that was this sort of an I'm busy response. Silence, the first request. I'm busy, the second request. And the third request I labeled as it would be morally wrong. And that's in verse 26. He answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread or the Jews' bread, the seekers' bread, and cast it to dogs. And she didn't deny that he was, she was a dog in his opinion or the opinion of the Jews who felt themselves above her. And she said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs. Can you just give me a crumb, Lord? Just a crumb. It's a healing of my daughter. You know, one commentator, I think it might have been Matthew Henry, said that, that you know she might have brought this on her own daughter. She, she might have been a bit of a pagan devil worshiper herself. And maybe had, had started to worship. Mankind are, are born to worship. We know that. And maybe she got off track in her worship, and it was what her, her tribe or her parents or those over the coast of Tyre and Sidon had done. And she had somehow exposed her daughter to this spiritual error and her daughter was vexed with the devil, she might have been partially at least responsible for that. But he healed her. Again, he didn't even go there. But he healed her at her request. The Roman soldier was the hardened. The Syrophoenician woman was the rejected. You know, she was just born wrong. She was born in the wrong tribe. She was a Canaanite. And Jesus came to the Jews. Or did he? Can there be any good come out of a Syrophoenician woman? I wonder how many witch doctors this woman had gone to. I wonder how many alternative sources she had tried to have this daughter healed. I wonder who all she had prayed to to have this thing taken away. But she found the one who could heal. And he commended her faith as well. He says, great is your faith, in verse 28, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. You know, this woman was rejected. She was just born wrong. And I just thought, you know, with, with, with mankind and, and with myself, It just seems like we get to the end of our rope. And that's that's an analogy that just says that that there's nothing else to grab onto and we're looking for anything else to grab onto. And unfortunately, that's sometimes when we reach for Christ. And I wish it wasn't that way. I wish I would reach for Him along the way and let go of the rope quicker. But Jesus saw her faith and he healed her daughter. Can any good thing come out of a Syrophoenician woman? Well, yeah, there is. Her daughter was healed, and and now we know that Jesus cares for the Syrophoenicians even as well. You might not have known that. Turn with me to Luke 17. We're going to read about 10 men that had probably the stereotypical worst disease of the age. As a matter of fact, I could be wrong, I didn't look this up, but but I would guess there's more on leprosy than on any other affliction in the Old Testament. And it's interesting that leprosy, of course, now we know it's analogous to a spiritual issue, but leprosy, the healing of leprosy and, and, and And for you you children, it's it's basically, I would call it stabs that that, that ends up losing feeling. And the people harm themselves and are are easily um, injured because they can't feel it. And it's a terrible thing. And it was contagious, apparently, because they were to separate themselves, the Old Testament talks about. But interestingly enough, with leprosy, when they felt like they might be getting healed, they weren't to go to the doctor or the hospital or anything like that they would go to the priest interesting and there's detailed descriptions there in Leviticus I think it is about what the priest is looking for when he declares a man clean from leprosy the lepers were cast out they lived together they were they were to, to, to cover their upper lip I think it, it says and, and when I don't know if they were, were you know, so the saliva wouldn't spray out I don't know what that was all about but they were to tell people if you get too close i'm unclean i'm unclean stay back i'm unclean they couldn't work they couldn't live with their families they couldn't be part of society and so they clumped together and here we find 10 of them in luke 17 verse 11 and it came to pass as he went to jerusalem that he passed through the midst of samaria and galilee interestingly enough galilee is jewish territory samaria is not And he entered into a certain village, and we don't even know the name of it. And there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. So I picture them there at the entrance to the village, but they were not part of the village. They were not allowed to be part of the village. They were on their own. Ten men there at the doorway of the village, but they were separate. They stood afar off, in verse 12. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said... Go show yourself unto the priest. So that's like saying in our day, go talk to a doctor and see if you're healed. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his face at his feet giving thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And so there they were. This group of lepers, it doesn't say that Jesus touched them, but but previously or in other accounts of the Gospels, it talks about Jesus touching a leper. And, And we probably, again, can't really put ourselves into what that meant. But, but this was perceived to be an extremely contagious skin disease that affected other things in the nervous system as well eventually. But it was perceived to be very contagious. They were to be separate. They were to be set apart. And Jesus goes and he touches one of them. This particular circumstance, he just spoke to them, that he told them to go to the priest. And it's interesting that it doesn't say he healed them and then sent them to the priest. He says, go, show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Don't know what all to make about that. But one of them turns back and in a loud voice glorifies God and gives thanks for what Jesus had done. And it's interesting, you know, the nine were actually better at following instructions than the one. I don't know if the one ever made it to the priest, but as he was going, he noticed, and I don't know what that would have looked like. I, I don't know if, if maybe he had some, some scabs in his arm that, that as he went, um, maybe he's talking to his nine friends there, or, or, or not really friends, but those he had been in company with, and he says, um, do you feel different? And they stopped to look at themselves, and, and they realized that something was happening, and maybe there was, there was a, uh, a, a, a one, one that was limping along, halting because his feet had lost all feeling because of leprosy. And he says, you know I, I think I can feel my feet again. Can there any good thing come out of a leper? So nine of them really were probably better at following instructions, but Jesus praises, if you will, this one who turns back And gives thanks. Now notice two things here. Number one in verse 14. And it came to pass in the second part of verse 14. As it came to pass that as they went they were cleansed. So they were all cleansed. And that Greek word just means that they were made clean and pure. But look at the one who came back. And he said unto him in verse 19 after the one comes back and and praises and thanks and gives glory to God, he says, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Now that's a different word. Cleansed means clean and pure, but whole means healed and preserved. And maybe you don't see a big difference there. And maybe I'm grasping at straws. I don't know. But I see an additional layer of blessing that this man who praised God in the form of Jesus Christ, glorified God, it says. I see an additional blessing to him that he was made whole from that time forward. And so I'm just going to label these guys. We talked about the the hardened Roman soldier. We talked about the rejected Syrophoenician woman who was just born wrong, born in the wrong society. These were the society's outcasts. And it was right. It had to be. That they would have affected maybe the the entire town if they'd have gone in there. I don't know. And so I just like to ask us as we are praying for healing, do our prayers sometimes stop at just healing? Is there more? Being made whole. And I would even go so far as to say that there are times when being made whole might even delay the healing because there's still a lesson I need to learn in the healing before I'm made whole. Can any good thing come out of a leper, a societal outcast? Glory to God came out of it. And a lesson for us. We're going to turn to Luke 7 for the next one. Luke 7. We don't know exactly. We have some some assumptions of this woman who came in as Jesus was sitting at supper with Simon the Pharisee. But I'm not going to talk about her that way. I'm just going to call her a sinful woman. Can any good thing come out of a sinful woman at Simon's house? And this is Simon the Pharisee, not Simon Peter. I'm in Luke 7, 36, and when one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet, and behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus set at meat with the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box full of ointment. Some people think this was, was Mary, possibly. Uh, Mary Magdalene, I believe. And stood at his feet, and behind him weeping, And began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. We've already established that. And Jesus answering and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say on he said, there were a certain creditor which had two debtors and one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman. So he's speaking to the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, you see this woman? I entered into thine house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears, and wiped them with the hairs of their head. I, thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little." And he saith unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they sat at meat, and they that sat at meat with him began to say with themselves, Who is this that forgives sins? And he saith unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Can any good thing come out of a woman that is a sinner? Now it's it's established that everyone knew she was a sinner. And I don't know, maybe it was a small town, and maybe her <laughs> reputation was was strong. Maybe there was some sort of a physical um, mark or, or something in her appearance that, that, that says that she was a sinner. And you, your mind can wonder exactly what she was. But everyone knew that she was a sinner and there's no even question of that. But have you, have you, wondered, have you ever wondered why this woman came so unprepared? She didn't bring a water, she didn't bring a towel. She had to, 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 to wash Jesus' feet with the tears from her eyes and wiped them with with. She didn't even use her, her her skirt or her garment. She used the hair of her head on his feet. Now we've seen pictures and scenes of this where there would be sort of a of, of a reclining couch, and maybe the food was sort of in the middle of this big circular couch. And they say that this is how the disciples and, and the, the the people of that time would have eaten. And so the way they talk about it, or they they talk. They they picture it as that, that Jesus maybe was there, let's say he was resting on his right or excuse me, on his left elbow, reclining on this couch with his feet out here to the outside, and Travis here is is, is in the seat of where Simon is and his feet are out this way and so forth. And so this woman kind of sneaks around the back as they're reclining on these couches and they're, 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 they're using their free hand to, to, to eat from the food there and their heads are close together right around the meal and their feet are in the outside and the woman sneaks in. She wasn't invited into Simon's house, but there she was. But she was unprepared. I wonder if she had come there for the anointing and was overwhelmed with the presence of Jesus. And suddenly she said, I, I, I can't anoint his feet like this. I've got tears streaming down. And, and so she just, in some way, she, she, she washed his feet right there on the spot. And I would also say, and maybe this is a um, stretching a little bit and saying something that the Scripture doesn't, but I would say that she had already repented before she came. Number one, she was coming in to anoint Jesus' feet, Number two, her sins were many, but she had been forgiven them, and so she loved much, it says. But there she was, unprepared, and was just overwhelmed with emotion at Jesus' feet, and so she just did what she, what she could. And Jesus uses that situation to teach Simon the Pharisee a parable. And so I'm labeling her the invisible one. Now everyone knew she was a sinner and everyone maybe knew her from town. But do you have people in your life for whatever reason are invisible? Maybe they want to be invisible. They're, they're, they're shy. They're not outgoing. They don't enjoy meeting people. They're, they're not talented in, in many ways. And, and so they just want to be invisible. They just want to be on the outside. They just want to be in the background. Maybe that was what this woman represented, but Jesus cared for the invisible. Can there be any good thing come up from a sinner in Simon's house? No one is unsavable and no one is beyond the care of Jesus. I was going to talk about the woman at the well in Samaria. I think I'll skip that one. I called her the affection seeker. She'd had five husbands. She was living with a man that was not her husband. And yet her testimony moved an entire town. Could there be any good thing come out of a Samaritan adulterer? But when Jesus worked, there was. I thought of others. I said I had 10. Here's the other four or five. Could there be any good thing come out of a tax collector like Matthew or Zacchaeus? Sure, there was. Ones who had betrayed their, 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 their blood brethren in charging too much tax, maybe. Could there be any good thing come out of them? But Jesus touched them. Could there be any good thing come out of a common fisherman like Peter or Andrew? Yeah, there's a lot of good that came out of Peter and Andrew. Could there be any good thing to come out of a political fanatic like Simon the Zealot? And you know, I think it's interesting, probably the biggest credit of Simon the Zealot is we don't read about him. This was a man, I think, that was so zealous of of the Jewish society that, that he he had been trained to... to Go to war, if you will, to protect the temple, maybe. I don't know exactly what they were zealous over, and it doesn't really matter. But this was a man that was used to getting his own way and exerting force. And we don't read a thing about him. Was there any good thing when Jesus called a zealot to follow him? Yes, there was. Was there any good thing that could come out of Pharaoh's right-hand man down in Egypt? We know him as Joseph. Was there any good thing that could come out of a demon-filled man living in caves and chains, cutting himself there in Gadara, in the Gadarenes? There was. Because he had an experience with Jesus. I'm going to close with a current spirit experience, a testimony of a young man named Keyshawn Washington. And Keyshawn Washington is still alive. I think he's maybe 25 years old. This is a current story. And he lives up in the town, used to at least, I believe he still does, live up in the town of York, Pennsylvania. And there were some, some Mennonites that had moved into downtown York, Pennsylvania as part of a, um, a, a, a inner city outreach, if you will. And they came around and knocked on his door and they invited Keyshawn Washington to Bible school, a, a a, a vacation or whatever it was, a Bible school. Now, Keyshawn had already had experience with a group of Baptists, and the Baptist told him, "If you'll just confess and go home, your entire life will be changed." And, and Keyshawn Washington did what they said and went home to the neighborhood, and his parents were still on drugs, and there was poverty in his home and poverty in his community, and and, and a sense of of, of of aimlessness among his peers. He talked about the, the 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 Mennonite young man that he got to be friends with, and he had his sisters. He said, I didn't even know my sisters. Probably stepsisters. He knew he had some, but he didn't even know them. That's the young man that Keyshawn Washington was beginning to become. But they invited him to vacation Bible school or to Bible school there, a week-long Bible school, And they brought this old rickety van around every evening and they picked him up among other rowdy children from the from the neighborhood, the hood he calls it. You can imagine what that is. Not been to York, Pennsylvania, but I'm just picturing it similar to what I've been in, which is not very much. But there they are in this old rickety van and Keyshawn decided that he was going to get back at these people because they were trying to love him and he had determined that he was going to be unlovable. And so it came time where they would, would go into the chapel and he screamed out every curse word that he could think of and they, they took him into the back and, and they, they worked with him and they said, um, you know, we, we want to care for you and, and, and some of the, the Mennonites that were there said, you know, we've got to kick him out and, and when one came alongside and they said, no, I think he has potential. I, I want to keep him here and, and there was a struggle there and they kept him there. And over the course of the week, He did manage to get kicked out of several events because of his unruly attitude that Kishon exhibited. But finally, on the last day, they had a picnic and the Mennonites that were there were right in with the children. I think Kishon was 14 years old maybe at this time. And they played some games. And he said, "In my, my competitive nature and my desire to win and all that, I, I, I sort of lost, um, lost the perspective that I was going to be unlovable. And he saw something in those people that interested him. He saw them as just humble people who were willing to come down and live in many ways at his level. And the testimony that Keyshawn Washington said, and now he's, he's, of course, a Mennonite, mid-twenties. He said, as hard as I tried to reject those people, they would not give up on me. They would not give up on me. And so I'm going to borrow from Winston Churchill And just invite you and say, don't quit praying, don't quit caring, don't quit loving. Winston Churchill said part of this, he says, never, never, never give up. And I'm going to add because God is able. God bless you.